Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Comeback Stories. Here with my man, Donnie Starkins, as always. Uh, we have an amazing guest here today, one that I've been able to form a relationship and uh, work with. Uh, we have Susan Borchart, uh, performance enhancement specialist uh, with the Athlete Blueprint. Uh, she's worked with friend of the show, Kelsey Plum, uh, Sue Bird, Brianna Stewart, Megan Rapino, a lot of elite athletes, uh, has held performance roles with Stanford Women's Basketball, the Seattle Storm, currently with U.S. Women's National Team, fresh off a gold medal, um, had some time in the WNBA herself, uh, but just uh, an amazing woman, amazing coach that I've gotten to know so far. Susan, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Darren. Gosh, what an introduction. Wow. Oh, yeah. Had to, had to get it right. Had to get it right. Um, I'm impressed. Jeez. But yeah, we like to uh, start by uh, asking, how was growing up for you? What was your early life like? Well, I think my early um, growing up years were very kind of formed by my two younger brothers. So I kind of really wanted to be one of the crew a little bit. And my parents were amazing at kind of being like, yeah, get right in there. And I wasn't treated any different than them. And so it was like, Everyone had chores and my chores were no different than theirs. And I was mowing the lawn because that's, you know, all those things were all treated equally. And along those same lines, I was kind of thrown into their practices and just one of the guys. And I think that really kind of helped me um, just given the size that I ended up being. I'm really small. I'm like a peanut, you know, in the basketball world. And so I think that kind of gave me that fighter mentality a little bit. And I think that I kind of harnessed that and used that as I grew up and played. So that was kind of the basis of how I grew up. Got you. Um, one thing mm -hmm. Donnie and I have definitely learned, uh, especially from our lives and uh, some of the things that we've had to heal from is we could always trace something back to like an early memory of pain or an early memory that had us feeling maybe a little bit alienated or different than anybody else or something that just changed the way that we process things and showed up in the world. Was there a moment early in your life that you can think back on that may have uh, changed you in a way? Yeah, you know, I think... Gosh, like I said, I didn't necessarily look like the prototypical basketball player. Um, I'm 5'6", I'm white, I'm small. Um, and so I remember I was being recruited really early on and I um, was playing on varsity early. And I remember my coach being like, yeah, we had this whole group of coaches come in today and during warmups, they couldn't figure out which one you were. And I'm like, should I feel like, I remember being like, God, I, like, I like, kind of feel bad about that, you know? But then I'm like, wait a second, no, like, hold on, I'm going to kind of prove them wrong a little bit. And so I think I've always kind of come from that standpoint a little bit, um, whether it was, you know, proving them wrong in the sense that like, well, I may be this small, but I'm going to go out and do this, this, and this. It was like I was kind of waiting, or it helped me when someone said, you can't do this. And I'm like, okay, bet, here we go. Mm. So that I think was kind of, um, I always sort of had that mentality a little bit, but that was one of those moments where I just remember like, God, that like, doesn't make me feel great. So now I got to go out there and like double down. Mm. I felt like, so when I was getting recruited, I wasn't really recruited that highly. Um, I had a few offers um, and I was just like, there were some where I was like, I'm just, I had that mindset of I'm not really that good, I guess. Like I'm just kind of just, you know, I might earn a scholarship, I might get school paid for, but then it kind of, I, I kind of developed that mindset too of like, I got to prove these things. I got to do this. I got to show them. Uh -huh. It's like, did, did you ever feel any moments where that mindset was kind of exhausting? Because I'm sure it served you a lot. It got you to into a lot of doors, into a lot of rooms, especially now. But did you ever feel like that was exhausting to you? Yeah, you know, I don't know that I ever looked at it that way. It was always, yeah, 
It was more like that was kind of the cross I had to bear being this size. And so instead of looking at it as like, oh, I'm tired of doing that, it's like, okay, here we go one more time. And I think that actually really served me well with my injury history. And so I, I got to Stanford, couldn't have been going better. I'm a freshman, I'm a point guard, I'm playing every minute of every game. It's, you know, just going amazing. I go up for a layup, I get tackled, tear my ACL and done. Okay, that year, then I rehab, come back. Same thing. I had a cadaver graft. It stretched. My body didn't take it. I had to do the whole thing again. And I think that when the doctors were like, hey, you know, we just want to like set you up for understanding like this might not happen for you might not play again. I just remember like, okay, like, all right, here we go. So I think that kind of helped me in that instance of having to kind of fight for all the things that I got up until that point. I think that that was useful. Um, for me, and then I think that's also something we like to pass along to the people that we work with. Like we've been in their shoes and it's like, okay, here we go, let's dig in. We're gonna get through this. And then on the other side, you're gonna have so much confidence in yourself because look what you look what you've made it through, you know? Mm. So Yeah, that was that was gonna go into next. And what would you say? <laughs> could you take us through like the parallel of your mental health journey as you went through and battled some injuries when you were in college and um you know, maybe when your early WNBA career, like what were some of the mental health challenges that may have gone alongside with those physical challenges? Yeah, you know, I'm a little bit older. So back in the day, that wasn't really something that was talked about at all. But for me, my freshman year, when I tore my sail my first time, it was really hard. Like I'm from Minnesota. I was in California. I'm really far away from my family. Basketball in my head was kind of what I was there for. So it was like, wait a second, like I'm out here. What, like, it was a really big challenge. School was hard, you know, there's, it's just a lot. And so the second time around, um, I think I was really lucky because I had actually met my husband uh, in the training room. He was the center on the basketball team and um, we, we met there. And so I think the second time around, I just had a lot more perspective and I had things outside of basketball that I cared about in a much stronger way. And so for me, the second time through was a lot healthier. Um, in that standpoint. And then I also was rehabbing at a different place. And so I think in, in that, like in trying to find my way out of this back to playing, I sort of found my way in one of my really big mentors that to this day is someone that I lean on and uh, from a professional standpoint and just from a personal standpoint as well. <clears throat> Donnie, I know you can, I can relate. relate a lot. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. See, I was just <laughs> yeah, to say. The, the injuries, <laughs> well, the injuries. I had a, had seven surgeries on my left knee and the fifth one that I had mm. was my senior playing baseball my senior year at Arizona State and I had a cadaver transplant on my meniscus it's a surgery that I know they don't do anymore I was the first person in Arizona to ever have this surgery the um, head orthopedic surgeon at ASU like sold this sold this to me really well and basically said you have the knee of a 90 year old man you're 21 years old you'll have to have your knee replaced in a couple of years Um, if you if, if this surgery works it could be like having a new knee and you might even play again and my body rejected the piece. The surgery was a disaster. The pain that I was in for a month, I was taking 80 Percocet a week for a month straight. And then the doctor had cut me off cold Turkey. So it was, yeah, that was the beginning of my spiral of, of, um, my bottom and my addiction. And, um, you know, for the people listening, they've, they've probably heard this story, but, um, yeah, it was like the perfect storm, losing my identity, losing baseball, traumatic surgery, all of those painkillers um, that I was having to take. But really, that wasn't why I got addicted. Ultimately, the wound, the core wound for me was the loss of my identity and the loss of my purpose of baseball for that to be stripped of me where that's where I got my validation. And 
Um, totally. It was the love but, of my life. It was, um, it, that almost killed me. It literally almost killed me. Mm. Yeah, no, I feel that so strongly for sure. So, um, how did I was you, even was, like, hearing step out of it? How did you get out of uh, it? My next, I went to rehab about, you know, mm. six, seven years later after just like being a lost soul and, you know, never really being able to kick the painkillers. I mean, I did a lot of other drugs, but really what had its grip on me were the painkillers. And it wasn't even about getting high. It was about feeling normal where the weekend would end and Monday morning would roll around and I couldn't even step foot outside my door because I was in so much fear um, and anxiety. And so it was really just like kind of what a deep breath does for me today is what the pills would do for me back then. And so it just, my life got so bad that I had, I ended up in rehab and that's when I got really curious as to like, what the hell happened to my life? Going from this baseball player star to a drug addict, like where did it all go wrong? And that was the beginning of my journey into personal development and recovery. And uh, yeah, it's been a wild ride since, but it's beautiful. It's just, you know, the, I was talking about this yesterday that my past today is my greatest asset. And I know it's similar for Darren, you know, many, Many think he makes an impact, you know, on the football field, but really it's, it's his story. And that's really why we're sitting here today. Mm. So kind of like in finding your way out, you sort of found your way and like, you're able to pass that on to people. I love it. And it wasn't until I shared my story. And so I'm sitting there watching hard knocks one day and, you know, I see this gentleman sharing his story and I'm like, Oh my God, I did that on a way smaller platform. I've got to connect with this guy and then like immediately connected with him. So it's been beautiful. Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> what a cool story. Yeah. I want to share. It's cool. It's a cool. Yeah. Um, I want to get into uh, meditation a little bit more in uh, later on in the conversation because Donnie's big into meditation. Susan incorporates a lot of meditations into my plan. So we'll, uh, we'll definitely get into that. Um, Susan, okay. what, I want to ask you about, I know you, played at Stanford, you had a short stint in the WNBA. I want to ask you, what was the the transition phase like from ending basketball and moving into like maybe the ambiguity and the anxiety of like what's next? Like what was that process like for you? Yeah, so mine was a little bit different. Um, I had played that summer and then my husband was playing for the Celtics that next year and he got waived like halfway through. It was like this huge NBA trade. And it wasn't like a great fit. And we kind of waited to see, is he going to go on a 10 day or can we find a 10 day that makes sense that he would actually make, you know, instead of just being there for 10 days. And so all the overseas teams kept calling and calling and calling. We're like, nah, we don't really want to do that. I don't know that that's right. And eventually we're like, you know what? We're just going to go for it. We're going to try it and see it. And mostly because they only play one to two games a week over there. And my husband is seven feet tall. He's broken his navicular bone. It's like this chronic thing that happens when to a lot of guys that are that big. And so one to two games a week is a lot better than five, you know, in the NBA. And so uh, we got over there. He ended up playing uh, for this great coach who was like, hey, you can do whatever you need to do during the week. As long as you play like that on Saturday, like we don't care. Whatever you need to do, just play like that. And so that was kind of where it started where it's like, okay, so then what would make the most sense? And it made sense for us to stay there. And then I kind of started doing his programming, essentially. Um, and that had always been something that I'd been interested in, obviously with all the rehab and such. And then um, just from like a personal standpoint, being in really good shape was something that I kind of relied on to play like I wanted to play. And so um, we ended up wanting to stay in that city, but they didn't have a women's team. And so had we gone to, we had offers from some of these other places where I would have played for the women, he would have played for the men, it would have been great. Sorry about that. But um, 
in deciding to do that, the men's team there asked if I would work with their essentially their second pro team, which is like college age kids. And so I was like, okay, yeah, that sounds good. And so I started there. And by the end of our time in Spain, I was working with Curtis's team, um, doing essentially what I do now uh, with the pros. And so that was a really cool experience. And I ended up being one of the first females to work in that space there and just was in a really great environment and I loved it. And so my transition, I think, was pretty smooth because I was still in it. I was still around basketball. Um, but I've seen, um, I have, you know, I've seen my husband go through it when he stopped playing. It's not easy. Like it's different than just a regular job. You kind of alluded to that where it's who you are is wrapped up in what you do and how you feel about yourself. And so um, that was a really tough transition for him. And so I think that's something I'm really aware of too. With When I'm working with people, we had, I had someone um, really prominent this year retire and it was something she started talking about early. And we started talking about, it's like, hey, that's coming. Like, let's kind of proactively start thinking about that, talking to someone who, who specializes in that, so that when you get there, it's not this huge shock. It's like you've already started that process. So, um, yeah, for me, it was smoother than I think it's been for other people, just by happenstance a little bit. And I'm still, I'm lucky enough that I'm still kind of involved in this game that's been, you know, so huge uh, to my life, so. Beautiful journey. I'm loving. I'm interested to get into the the meditation. Just want to hear a little bit more about your story, though. What would you say just from we always like to kind of talk about bottoms, rock bottoms. And I think everybody's bottom is different. Everybody has a low point. But if you look back on your life, what what was that for you? Oh, gosh, I think that's pretty easy for me to say that my freshman year at Stanford was just I'd never been hurt my life I'd only ever always played and that had that was just it for me and so to not have that was really really hard and I think as an athlete Darren maybe you can or maybe both of you guys can kind of agree on this like when you're at when you're on campus as an athlete like there are certain things that you're just not involved in mostly because you just don't have time right you're like you're at class you're at practice you're at something associated with your team you're not in the art club and that going to these speakers or all these really cool things that are on campus, you sort of, that's sort of a trade, at least at Stanford, most of the athletes talk about that. It's like, there's a lot of cool stuff you don't experience. And so I, I never really saw any of that. And looking back, I wish I would have kind of had my eyes open to all these other amazing things that were going on on campus, but I couldn't really see outside of that. It was like, <clears throat> I was very tunnel-minded here. And it was like this, I'm missing this, I'm missing this piece instead of seeing what else it was. And so that for sure for me was uh, my bottom. What do you think, we always talk about how it's not the event that happens, but the meaning we attach to it. But what, what did you learn from that? What did you learn about yourself? And I think what was kind of the, the story you had to stop telling yourself to start to like write your own comeback story? Yeah, you know, I think when I look back on the whole kind of like injury situation for myself, I think I might've even said this, but I think I learned that I am really tough and I had made it through all of that. And so whatever else comes my way, it's like I learned to believe in myself. And I guess I had to refine that first before I could expect anyone else to. Um, I think the other thing that I learned, um, and we kind of talk about this now with our athletes, because we work with a lot of athletes who are kind of in that return to play zone. Um, they come to us and it's like, okay, well, as soon as I'm back out there, it's like, you're not necessarily going to feel exactly like yourself right as you return to play. And that's okay. You have to give yourself space to, to not be right back to that mm -hmm. level where you were at. And for me, that, you know, I say my freshman year was hardest. 
I think rivaling that would probably be my junior year where I was back and playing and just playing, you know, I, I was playing the whole game and I just felt so horrible compared to what I used to be. And so like struggling through that, like trying to refine how I played or maybe find the new normal of how I was going to be able to play a little bit. That was really hard too, but I didn't really know that I had to like give myself space. I just thought like, well, as soon as I'm back out there, I'm going to like be me, right? No one wants to say like, hey, there's going to be this adjustment period. And so I think that's something we really try and give the players we're working with space to like walk into and know that like, hey, you got to celebrate the fact that you're out there and be okay with knowing that it's not going to be like you just stepped off the floor a year ago when you, before you got injured. You know, like that that's okay. Like let's celebrate being out there and win this day, not worry about comparing yourself to what you were before. Mm. I definitely hear lessons of self-compassion in there for sure. Um, I'm, I'm in a season. Yeah. I'm in a season of that as well. Um, this season hasn't necessarily gone the way that I've liked it to, um, especially coming off of you know 2019, 2020, playing every single game and playing. It was like that was going to be the same way last season, except for getting a freak knee injury, kind of getting rolled up. So it's I've had to grow and allow myself compassion, you know, because it's like as soon as mm -hmm. like I'm back off of IR in a week, and I'm like I got to get B back out there and like ripping people's heads off like as soon as I'm back out there like I used to be but it's like you know why don't you just celebrate the fact that you're able to stack three days in a row of running together With, um, you're, exactly you're, you're able to work yourself back in and like not demand that you be Superman immediately but the fact that you're continuing to progress and grow like that's good enough and the version of you will that's supposed to show will show in the time that it's supposed to happen. So it's like, I think that's a very wise lesson to not just be so hard on yourself. Cause I'll bring the hammer out and just beat myself over the head with negative thoughts. Like, Oh man, I should be doing this by now. Like Donnie talks about shooting ourselves to death. I don't know if you've ever heard that yeah. before, but that, uh, that idea is, uh, it's a season that I'm currently walking through. So I speak of, you know, the lesson that I hear, but it's really something that I have to practice right now for myself. And it's hard, right? It's yeah. like, sometimes too, it's like, well, my knee feels great. Like, why am I not, you know, or like my hamstring, you know, whatever it is, it's like, no, I feel great. But it's like, okay, there's, there's this piece of it too. And that piece is going to come when it has the opportunity to come. And so not rushing that, um, I think is, is hard to do when you're in it, but I think it's an important thing to kind of try and remember and have perspective for. Yeah, without a doubt. How else do you help your athletes? You work with some of the, the best of the best. I mean, Darren rattled off that list. I mean, it's, um, I mean, top, top tier, how do you help them fall in love with the process? And even if some of that process is rehab or recovery, um, what are some of the tools, techniques that you're passing along to them? Yeah, you know, I think um, every athlete we work with, we work with a little bit differently. Um, we really like to kind of get in there and understand what makes them tick, what their buy-in factor is, like what, what about this is appealing to them. The nice thing is they're sort of choosing us. So there's, they have that skin in the game to start, you know? And so there's like that buy-in, it's like they've sought us out. Um, so there's that, but then it's like, okay, what, what about this resonates with them? And then also what are kind of the parameters where they can see this work? We have some athletes where it's like, they want everything scheduled. We have other athletes who we do more of the recovery piece for, and we're kind of helping them come down after their full day of training with their team. So it just kind of depends. Every athlete is different. Um, but I think the main thing we really like to start with is that there's magic in consistency. And so any, anybody, you can get anybody to do something for 10 days. And then it's like the, the shininess wears off and that it's like, okay, let's move on to something else. But it's like when you really kind of commit to the process of it and decide that like, okay, I'm going to buy in 
for the journey of this, and I'm not gonna try. And, I'm not gonna try and do too much at the beginning, but I'm really gonna allow things to kind of work synergistically together. Um, that's when we feel like we really kind of um, can help make change happen. And so we've been lucky. You know, it, sometimes it just feels like a dream. Truly, the people we have a chance to work with and uh, just to be kind of on that journey with them has been, you know, just the greatest privilege. But um, we work with each of them differently, and it feels like different things make different people tick. And so that's like trying to get in there and understand that I think is um, one of the things we try and do really well. Well, if there's anything that um, Donnie and I are known to riff about on this show and this platform is definitely meditation. So I would love to know how you got introduced to meditation yourself and um, when you how, what the process was like starting to incorporate it with athletes. Was it uh, resisted mm -hmm. at first? Was it welcomed? Explain that for us. Yeah, so um, I would say the whole kind of journey of meditation is something that I am still fully learning, um, and I love. I love learning about it, like understanding it more fully. Um, but it's one of those things that we kind of started incorporating, I would say probably two years ago, and it was not something that we're like, oh, this is, you know, everyone, they're going to love this. It was like, okay, hey, we're going to try something new. And usually we have kind of some built-in trust with people when we're like, hey, we think this might be something that could work for you. Are you willing to give it a try? It's like, sure, I'll try it, you know? And so um, we started with it and it was something that we were just kind of blown away with the positive feedback um, we got from people like, hey, I really love that. That like really helps me. And um, we have some people who get anxious when they fly, some people who are anxious when they're in a new place, some people who have a really hard time going to sleep after a game. And so just like I said, we work with people differently. We kind of use this as a tool differently with people as well. So for some people, it's, you know, they really like to meditate in the morning to kind of clear their mind and set their, set their intention for the day. Um, we use it that way. We use it with some people on game day several times. Um, it just kind of depends how we're weaving it in. But um, far and away, the response has just been overwhelmingly positive. And I don't know that I've had anyone complain about this. Like, you know, we'll, we'll hear people like, oh, my gosh, the Peloton, why? You know, there's we'll get that feedback of like they're complaining about it. they know it's good for them but like never have i heard complaints about this and i think um we've sort of started the process for some people and they've taken it further and so now they're like totally into it on a level that we're not even pushing them to it's like they've kind of internalized it and made it part of their process in a way that's not me assigning it it's them figuring out what works best for them and so that's actually really cool we love to see when people sort of take something we show them as a tool and sort of really make it their own and modify kind of how we're doing it and then we incorporate it in a way that they found works even better for them so what are some of the techniques or practices i know it might vary from athlete to athlete but what 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 do you maybe you, even your own practices and what what your practices look like and some of the ones that uh you're passing along to your people yeah so we have several um people that we like to pull from um, we like the box breathing. We like the some of the counted holding breath work. We find that it really flows nicely with how we're using breath work in our um, performance. So we're, we're focusing and talking about breathing and exhaling and all of that within um, our lifts and such. And so it just kind of, it becomes this nice segue and it's familiar to them. It's not something that's like, oh, meditation. It's like, no, no, this is just a continuation, just a different way of using breath work. And so it seems like an easy um, kind of step into that arena. And so a lot of times we'll use it, um, I would say in the evening, Darren, this would probably be familiar with you. This is how we like to use it with you. In the evening, sometimes we'll have legs up on the walls, um, dark space, and really just allow them to kind of down-regulate. Um, sometimes it'll be half-guided, half-silent. Mm. 
Um, but just kind of get into that parasympathetic state. Um, we'll use heat beforehand sometimes. Um, sometimes we'll have it be where they're finishing their workout with that and then get into some heat after that. We like to use it, um, we like heat in the evening um, just to kind of help with that process. So that's some of the ways we're using it. Sometimes we'll use it after shoot around in the morning where people are like, they start to get really amped almost too soon, right? So they go to shoot around, it's like they're in that state and we know they're gonna have to take their nap because um, the game isn't until seven. So we use something that just kind of helps them recalm after that. Um, that's one of the ways we use it. And then um, I have a couple who love to just pop their headphones in and do it while they're traveling because they're anxious. So on the plane, we'll pair that with some of the power dot stuff on their low back where we add that like sense of vibration and such um, with the meditation. Mm. But I'm like I said, I'm always learning it and by no means am I like oh I know everything about it it's like no we're, we're constantly kind of trying to find new tools that we think would fit certain individuals we work with and such so I'm guessing I might learn something today I'm excited to listen to how you use it yeah well, I'm just thinking about when I was playing in college and this was not available maybe it was available but um I know none of us <laughs> not, were, not to were, me were, I don't were, know yeah. any, yoga and meditation were not available and it's just such a game changer for so many reasons and Yes, the on the field stuff, but, you know, even just some of the work I've done with Darren, so much of it isn't even on the field stuff. It's all the other stuff, but it's that other stuff that, you know, being able to manage and regulate um, emotions and have tools to find, find our center, right? I believe that we all have a center and um, I believe it sits right at the middle of the heart space, but we also get pulled off our center by the world's demand um, from the attention of our minds, and, you know, you have the, the, the biggest companies in the world creating, hiring the smartest people in the world to create these algorithms to capture our attention. Now, that's just the, the normal, normal everyday person. And then you talk about the athlete and then everything else that comes with that. It's like it blows my mind. I have and maybe you can relate a completely different um, perspective on athletes where I truly have so much compassion for them. Where, you know, I think other people, many people will put them on a pedestal and think it's like all amazing. And I'm like, it's a lot. And I get to hang out with Darren often. And it's just the energy. It just feels like a lot. So it is so essential to have these practices, whatever they are, the meditation techniques, the breath techniques. We talk a lot about just pattern interrupts, like positive pattern interrupts and finding these little tools that you can have in your back pocket um, to redirect your focus. Because that's all it really is. If we can have these tools to redirect our focus, it's like where our attention goes, energy flows, right? So if our attention's on a flight and we get anxiety and we're worried about the plane crashing and we just keep thinking about that, it's like a whirlpool and it just keeps building and building. But if you can have these little positive, positive pattern interrupts that redirect your focus, you know, it breaks that pattern. So yeah, there's so many yeah. out there. I mean, the the breath is the one that we always have and we've always had since day one. Yeah. Um, I think one of, one of our athletes who does deal with anxiety, I think she put it in a really great or framed it well. It's like, okay, when I do this, I feel like I'm controlling what I can control. All of a sudden I'm in control of this. I'm able to kind of control what's happening here. Those two things work together for me. And so it's like this tool that allows me to feel in control. Even if at the moment I'm feeling out of control, I'm like starting to go to that place where I don't want to go. It's like, okay, I have that in my back pocket. I always know how I can get back to that place. I close my eyes. I start there. There we go. And so I think that's a really powerful thing when you're someone who can be um, overcome by that. And so, um, 
that to me is like an exaggerated example a little bit, but kind of the same thing. It's like we have a lot of people who have a hard time coming down from that really heightened state from practice or a game or whatever it is. And so it's, it's a really powerful thing. No, no doubt. I mean, I, like you said, controlling the controllables is um, a powerful thing, something that we can just get distracted from knowing that that's all that we can control. And um, for me, it's like Donnie always says this meditation creates the space. And it's like the space to make a choice, the space to uh, come up with a response as opposed to just reacting haphazardly to things. Uh, I've talked with Kelsey about how you talk about uh, athleticism is more than just what you do with your body, but it's more so like processing things with your mind. And I feel like um, meditation allows me to go out onto the field, to go into anything in my life um, and create space from w- to where I can respond the way that I want to. Um, I can be mm. calm when I come up with that response. I don't always have to be like super tensed or like ready to just fire off or w- in whatever situation it is. Yep. Like meditation gives me that opportunity to know like I can take that breath, create that pause anywhere, whether it's on the field, I'm in the midst of a play or in the midst of a conversation that could go to another level in mm-hmm. emotions, you know, it's just like meditation is such a portable tool and uh, it's something yeah, that's definitely absolutely. enhanced my career and my life for sure. I love it. It's interesting. I think about when people maybe find out I'm a meditation teacher and I tell them in the instant responses, I can't meditate. My mind never stops thinking. And I'm like, nobody's does. And so, so much of it is just, giving your mind something to focus on, right? It's like doing a, a rep with a free weight. And every time you're, you know, if you're, it's your breath or you're staring at a candle or you have a word or a mantra. And every time you notice that it leaves, you bring it back. And when you notice it, it's not like, oh God, there goes my monkey mind again. No, you noticed it and that's awareness. And so mm-hmm. it's the, and then the action step of bringing it back. And every time we do that, just like um, a rep with a free weight, our, our mind is getting stronger. And if you struggle with that, just then think about meditation as just thinking about what you're thinking about. Because then you're just, because, you know, the stat is we have 60 to 70,000 thoughts a day and 90% of those thoughts are the same thoughts we had yesterday. So we're basically thinking about the same thing, which, you know, our thoughts create our reality, but really our belief system creates our thoughts, which create our reality. But it's in the noticing that change can happen. It's all about awareness. I love it. You know, I have a question. One of the other things we've been doing now, um, and Kelsey would laugh about this because we were just uh, at a place and they brought up the same thing, but I'm really big on scent and essential oils and kind of connecting that a little bit to relaxation. Is that something that you've done in terms of like, okay, before we meditate, we're going to put on, we're going to use lavender and eucalyptus and sort of associate that with kind of that parasympathetic downregulation? 100%. 100%. They're like all yeah. over my, 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 my place. And I just think they're so, cause it's just another tool to get us into our senses, but also some of those senses, um, bring up like, like the positive ones, they, they just get us into our bodies. It's another access point back into our bodies so we can get all the senses involved. And then some of these powerful ones are very grounding or very healing or very heart opening. So, oh yeah, I'm all about it. Yeah, and it's like, that's what my body, like, oh, I relax when I smell those smells. Like, that's what my body, okay, that's my cue to start. So it's just like that extra sort of assistance into that state, I think, or it can be. What would you say with, like, these these top-tier athletes that you're working with from a mindset standpoint, what separates them? What is it exactly that separates, like, the greatest from the best or the average from mm-hmm. a mental standpoint? Yeah, you know, I think... The thing that we've noticed is 
the great ones are always looking for that one or 2%. So it's like that edge. So how am I going to maximize just a little bit more? Because when you're, when you're the best of the best, the difference between you and the person below you is not this, it's this, right? But how do, how do we find those little pieces that make sense and kind of resonate with them and are effective for them in that sense? And so um, they're the ones who are willing to buy in and do the daily, not the like big grandiose things, but kind of the things that the unsexy things, you know, the things that like no one really wants to do their prehab. Like, Darren, I'm not just pretty sure you're not like, oh, I can't wait to go into, you know, but um, it's like ah, yes. those things that daily <laughs> things add up, those little things add up and they end up being the things that make the big difference, right? And so the consistency of it, they're the ones who are willing to kind of buy in fully um, to that consistent sort of lifestyle, I guess, um, in terms of the people we're working with. Um, that's kind of the thing that we've ended up seeing. It's like they're, they're never complacency isn't there. It's like, they're always like working for that next little best thing. Right. And willing to put in the effort to make, to make that happen. Would you say all of these athletes have like, um, have a meditation practice or are they all consistent in some type of like mindfulness or breath work or meditation practice? Yeah. So just like everyone's, um, training plan isn't quite the same. I would say their meditation practice definitely follows along those lines. So for some people, it's something that they want to do three times a day and they can't wait to do it. And it's like very built in for others. It's like, this is something that we're going to do at night. That's kind of helps them more into like their sleep patterning um, it's, or part of their sleep routine. It just kind of depends on what they found, but usually we'll start at night. And then if we get real, like, they're like, Oh, I love that. Then we'll figure out how we're going to weave it in. Or if we know that they're dealing with um, some of the anxiety on game days, it's just, we're kind of in conversation with them. And then we try things out, figure out how they like it and then calibrate from there. But yeah, I would say everyone has some piece of that woven into what they're doing. I'm, uh, I'm thinking right now I'm, I'm drawing a conclusion. Like Donnie and I, we have so much like joy and excitement for this platform. And it all stems from the days where, um, things weren't that great. Like our rock bottom moments, like it all springs from the pain and, those moments like that. So I'm thinking like with you back when you were like a freshman at Stanford and you were going through those times and going through those injuries and those thoughts that you were battling um, to the point you're in now, it's like, I feel like there's no higher human level of experience or energy than serving other people. The, was that Absolutely. experience that you had at Stanford, like one of the main reasons, like has that become like a purpose for you to serve these people, to help these people grow? Uh, whether they're injured or whether they're trying to take it to the next level, like does your inspiration or purpose come from that? Like talk to us. about Yeah, that. I think so. Absolutely. It's like, I've literally been in those shoes mm -hmm. and I know what it feels like to feel like I'm never like, I don't know that I'm going to get back to that. Like, can I get back to where I was? Like, I don't know. Right. And I think to be able to kind of not hold someone's hand, but be a part of someone's journey while they're going through that and just really truly be in it with them and have that trust between like there, there's nothing more than that. We value more than that, you know, cause when you're, when you're at your rock bottom, you're pretty darn vulnerable, right? Like if you're going to let somebody in yep. and kind of accompany you on that path, like it, there's, there's a lot, we take a lot of responsibility in knowing that like, Hey, they've really let us in. This is, this is a big job and we want to do our very best to kind of help them get back on the other side. And so to that point, you know, when you see somebody, you've been there five days after surgery, on, and they're on the bike and they're crying because they don't think they're ever going to then see them back on the court and just back out there doing what they love or winning a gold medal or whatever it is. It's like, I don't know that it gets in my, in my job. I don't know that it gets any better than that. 
No doubt, because it's it's easy as uh, as human beings to to feel like we're alone in our experiences, and um, you know that's that's a big thing that drives me. It's like I don't want people to feel like they're alone. Like they can see me and things that I've done, and I'm successful, but I came from the same place that they were in. I want them to know right. there's still an option. There's still a way for them to overcome that. So it's like it's it's amazing to see that these athletes that no matter what stage they're in, they have somebody like you that's really been in the trenches, really been in those moments to know, to help them feel like, okay, like I'm understood, like I'm okay here. Like I can be where I'm at and it's okay to be where I'm at. And it's all about where I'm going next. So I I appreciate you being that for people, Susan. Thank you, Darren. No, it it has been really cool. And we kind of have been in this basketball niche a little bit. Um, That's kind of, or at least that's where we started. And um, we really have walked that walk. And I think one of the things that's a little bit different is we've walked the walk of living overseas too. And so on the men's side, that's not quite as um, typical, but for uh, most WNBA players, that is a part of kind of their journey, at least the beginning portion. And so that's, that's actually served us really well because we understand what it's like when you're over there and it's just a totally different world. And so to kind of get in there and be able to help them navigate that too has been um, a really cool thing. Do you talk a lot about gratitude with your athletes or do they have gratitude practices? Um, We actually, on Thanksgiving, they'd probably all laugh, but on Thanksgiving, most people did some form of gratitude meditation. I'll put that after. Most people didn't have practice on uh, Thanksgiving, so they do some form of um, like a Peloton or something like that, and then we finished with a gratitude meditation. I believe Kelsey did that day. Um, So I do like to kind of weave that in. And I mean, truthfully, though, the the people that we have the privilege of working with, they're doing so many amazing things in terms of giving back and being involved and, you know, trying to help bring others or give up others opportunity. That's just been a really big part of the WNBA in general of like, Hey, I want to leave this better than it was for me. Cause there's so much room to grow. So actually, truthfully, we've been so inspired by the people we get to work with. We just sit back and watch. We're like, this is so amazing. Um, we have four young kids and, um, to have them be able to witness all these um, just, I mean, truly best of best people we're working with, but not athletes, but like people and see what they're doing and see how they're doing it and how they carry themselves. That's been, I think, one of the most valuable things for us as a family is just to have our kids exposed to that and see these people. And, you know, they, they're sort of old enough now to get it. Like they understand now that like, wow, people love Kelsey. Like I love Kelsey Plum, but like everybody loves Kelsey Plum, you know, in that way. And it's, it's been really cool. So we're, we're hopeful that, um, they'll continue to kind of get to see that. And uh, we have two young girls and they're both going to be huge. And so it's really great that they're going to have all these like really tall, positive role models around them. Cause unfortunately I can't give that to them. So um, it's been really neat. Awesome. Well, we uh, appreciate you creating the time, Susan. I know you are a very busy woman. Uh, <laughs> from oh, the first well, thank you guys first so much for having me. This was awesome. And I would love to meet you in person the next time we're in Vegas. That would be wonderful. If you're out there doing this, that would be great to grab coffee or something along those lines. That would be amazing. Let's do it. Yeah, uh, okay. Darren and I's teacher and friend, David G., who's, I feel like, the legendary meditation teacher. And he's He looks the part of, like I hate to use the word guru because I just think it's a really strong <laughs> word. And, but anybody in the meditation space, he's that guy. And most importantly, yes, he looks the part and he has a big white beard and white hair, but he's so cool. And his big thing <clears throat> has always been to make meditation accessible. And so like ah. every meditation, he'll, it, he's all over Insight Timer and um, on a few of the other apps. And he'll always say at the beginning, like settle in, comfort is queen. 
So like to be comfortable, because I think sometimes people have this misconception of like meditation needs to be like sitting cross-legged and having some right. mudra with your hands. And it's like, no, like just make it accessible. And he's got some great guided meditations for your people or for anybody that's listening that hasn't heard his, his um, back. We did two episodes with him because we went so deep. Um, but he oh, so cool. 10 years ago ma- made meditation accessible to me. So like every many people, the struggle is real when you try to start a meditation practice and his storytelling capabilities and just how like easy he made it be through guided meditations is what got me into the practice. And now he's a friend of ours. And I just did his five day meditation immersion uh, a few weeks ago. And it was like mind blowing, like a oh, I would very, love very to hear powerful. More about so, that. that would be really cool. Darren, Darren will send you some of his stuff. Do you have, yeah, I'd love to see it. We yeah. have, we've definitely heard like, I can't sit cross-legged and we do, we definitely have some people that cannot get into that position. That I is can't. not happening. So. I definitely can. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Comfy is right. Yeah. But mm-hmm. thank, thank you so much again. Uh, All right. Hope you have a great you. rest of your day. Appreciate your time. Thank you too. Okay. We'll chat soon. All right. Bye. Yeah. All thank right, you so you much. Guys. Thank you. What's up, Comeback Stories family? It's Donnie dropping in here. So did you know that Darren and I's relationship started by me being his personal development, mindfulness, and mindset coach? I want to let you know about both my one-on-one coaching program, The Shift, and my group mastermind, Elevate Your Purpose. These coaching programs are specifically designed for people who are ready to take the next step in their purpose and level up their career, personal finances, and have more connected, deep, and meaningful relationships. My gift and part of my purpose is to help others take that next step in leveling up their lives so that they can have a greater impact on the lives of others, create success that's sustainable yet evolves and grows, and help build a legacy that will outlive your life. If this is calling you, just go to DonnieStarkins.com and apply for either one of my programs.